Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast, Let's Play It By Ear, featuring me, your host, Joanna, and my co-host, Carrie. Say hello, Carrie. Hi, everybody. So today, we are talking about more myths. So this is part two to our myths thing, um, uh, busted again. All right. So first off, we, you know, we're both teachers. We're both music teachers. So I would say that a lot of the myths that we deal with or that are expected of us um, uh, surround teaching lessons, mm -hmm. music lessons, stuff like that. So let's start with you, Carrie. Um, what, I guess, frequent myths do you deal with as a music teacher and in music lessons? Um, there is one that comes to the top of my mind. I think maybe not so much that I have to deal with, but, <clears throat> excuse me, one that I've heard mm -hmm. kind of circulating around. I don't, I don't remember where or who, who says these things. Um, but it goes something like those who can't play or perform, they teach. Yeah. Yeah. It, <sighs> I definitely felt this a lot in school and mm -hmm. I think because I was I felt like an underdog in school I had a lot of right like I had a lot of problems with how I performed how I played not the strongest solo player so it kind of like I kind of felt like it was weird because I love teaching and I think that mm -hmm. teaching involves incredible amount of skill to mm -hmm. relay information um but I just didn't feel it was really respected when we were in school it was seen as like easy money that's what how it was mm -hmm. seen as um, I don't know. What did you think? Like, or what did you experience? Yeah, it felt like, um, I mean, before graduating school, it just felt like something a lot of our peers would do just to, like you said, easy, quote unquote, easy money, because it's not. <laughs> Teaching is never easy, really. Um, and also something that's just expected of you, I think, as you, as you progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I, have to say I wholeheartedly disagree with that myth because if anything I feel like teachers know their material better <laughs> dare I say um yeah yeah and like you said it, it is a definite skill to know how to relay that information to um different age groups like for yourself you teach majority adults yep I teach um the earlier years the younger years to all the way to upper like late teens mm -hmm. i take it so, from late teens and on yeah you continue yeah so it's it's just a matter of knowing like what information you need to relate to that age group at that point but also using the words and the terminology that they understand and if they don't understand, how can you reword that? How can you rephrase that or demonstrate it so they understand? And also catering to different learning styles as well, too. Yep, 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 yep. So 
yeah, I, I don't agree with them. <laughs> I don't agree with it either because at least I feel that um, I definitely felt like it was seen as easy money in mm-hmm. um, in music school because, you know, you get paid a lot more per hour. Um, but what you don't see behind the scenes is what happens on your off hours. Um, yeah. Because it's not a true nine to five. Um, if you teach locally, you're always going to be teaching in the afternoon and the evenings and on the weekends. So you're essentially teaching exactly not in the nine to five time. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'm very lucky to work basically between 10 to six, um, which is very unusual, but it's because I get to teach people in different time zones. Um, mm-hmm. And so for them, it's in their evening. For me, it's in during the workday. So like that has only happened though because we have the technology to do so. I mean, yeah. we're using technology right now to even record this podcast, you know? <laughs> um, so like I'm used to doing long distance stuff, you know, um, and like, but, you know, when you're a typical musician, I would classify myself as pretty atypical. But if you're a typical musician, you're actually teaching pretty much between like when school gets out. So like three or mm-hmm. 4 p.m. to like nine, something like that. I mean, usually kids will the latest a, a kid will stay for a lesson is like nine. But that's like a high school student, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know like little kids go to bed at like 7 or 8 p.m., you know? Like they kind of have to have their lesson at like 4, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, you're really only teaching like three, four hours in the afternoon and that's it. And people are like, oh man, you get paid so much per hour. It's like, well, you, I mean, you only get to, you only get paid like for like three, four hours, you know? So like, it kind of evens out in terms of the money. So like, it seems to be easy money, but but the prices that you are teaching when other people are off. So Mm -hmm. you're working when other people are off. It does make your social life fairly non-existent as a result. Um, So, you know, you kind of, if you are, hanging out with other people, you tend to hang out with other musicians, artists, who also are not working during the day, you know? So, or what a lot of musicians do is they fill in those times with like performances and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then you teach in, you know, every now and then sporadically, you teach in the afternoons and evenings. But like, it's just so sporadic that like, People think it's easy money, but I would say, like, weirdly enough, I guess that's also a myth, too, that teaching is easy money. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. It's it's not. But, like, there's there's a, like, just the fact that you have to think about a lot more than just music when you're teaching, because mm-hmm. you're thinking about the student, as you're saying, you're thinking about what is appropriate for them to learn, um you know how old are they where are they in their development um you know and also like what what do they want to learn like for me i actually usually have to push myself to not explain things in such an elementary fashion 
because Ugh. all of my students want to know the full context for something. Right. So they want that whole lesson where when I'm talking about a certain you know, piece of music, I talk about that time period, talk about the historical context, talk about where the flute was in the development at the time, blah, blah, blah. Like they want all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. I would say most kids probably don't care. At least I didn't care when I was a kid. So like that has really pushed me because like I almost kind of feel like if you're to ask any random performing musician a random question like that, just like suddenly give me the historical context of this piece and the development of the flute at that time. It's basically a master's defense. That's what I did mm -hmm. for my master's defense. It was half an hour of me taking this piece, analyzing it to high heaven, and then talking about it and talking about the historical context of it, the music theory concepts behind it, and also the, you know, the development of the flute at that stage. Uh, who was it written for, et cetera, for half an hour. And then my the second half an hour was they gave me a piece of music. I had 48 hours to study it, and I had to do the same thing, historical context, the music theory, concepts it, that are being demonstrated in it, and, like, you know, how is it significant to um, me as flutist, right? Mm -hmm. That is every lesson for me. <laughs> That's intense. Like, I don't think that that is, like, that is not, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not, it's not. To be fair, um, for performers, they would know this as well, I think. Yeah. Um, at the back of their minds. Yeah. Or they might do a bit of light research just to remind themselves. But for, for teachers, it's very much at the forefront. It's what you have to articulate on a, on a daily basis if you, if you teach every day to the students. You're, it's like constant presentation, presentation, presentation. You're yeah. actually constantly presenting this information. Mm -hmm. And it's, it definitely, you, it's not just because you can't play, that's why you're teaching. It's a choice to teach. Yeah, it's a passion <laughs> as well, too. Yeah, it's a choice, it's a passion, it's something that you're convicted to do. Mm -hmm. because it fulfills you yeah it's... and because you want to ensure music lives on, on as well too so you have to encourage the next generation and for on on my end like for your younger kids you very much have to encourage them and to kind of explain to them why we have to do things a certain way why you have to you want to make it sound like this because i tell them you're trying to tell a story if you and I try to draw parallels between mm -hmm. verbally telling a story, mm -hmm. it's like using that as, as a way to demonstrate breath marks, yeah. or where you breathe, or phrasing ends, or phrasing starts, yep. things like that. It's it's a lot of brain work. Yes. And if you have a full studio like yourself, it's a lot of time that you have to spend to research that, to, to cross-reference, and also just to keep things in, in check, to to know this goes for this student, this goes for that student. Mm -hmm. and not to get things mixed up and you do it often enough that sometimes you do kind of have a prepared shtick like you know i i have almost yeah. sort of like a frequently asked questions like mental list one of them is the development of the flute like a like a joe's truncated uh history of <laughs> the development of the flute over like mm -hmm. from the baroque era till now you know and like uh how it affected 
the music that was written for the flute. Like I have sort of like a truncated Joe's history of it that I, I give to students mm-hmm. who ask because I've been asked it so many times. But it is basically like a prepared presentation that I just kind of, mm-hmm. it just lives in my head mm-hmm. and I could bust it out anytime. Like, you know, um, I never thought that I would have that skill, but you know that whatever the job requires, you kind of end up doing, you know? Like my students yeah. find it disgusting yeah. when I like don't even have the book out that I'm telling them to, to turn to. And I'm like, okay, so like get your book out, turn to page six, we're gonna talk about harmonics. And they're always kind of like, you know, like, or your book. yeah, yeah. And like my book is like on like back there, but like I have it memorized because like I've like, I've just used it so many times to teach that I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, page six is this page seven is that, you know, like, and, and um, now we're going to skip to page 90, you know, blah, blah, blah for some technique, et cetera, et cetera. Like you don't hold that information in your head unnecessarily. You know what I mean? Like, it's a yeah. choice. It's a choice to do this. It's not just because you can't perform, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I still want to perform too. It's not that I like can't perform. You very much can perform, right? Like. I think you can do both, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> we should perform together. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, I mean... How about you? Um, let's see. Um, what did... Ah, yeah, so... Mine is weirdly on the same topic. And it's actually the second thing that we wrote here, which is that teachers know everything. Mm. Um, mm. So it's weird because we do have a lot of information that we just hold in our heads because we just teach it so often, you know? Um, mm. However, that doesn't mean that we know everything. Um, and I actually was just talking about this on stream this week, that I feel that in my younger years, I had insanely um, unrealistic expectations of my teachers. Like, okay, how so? I kind of expected them to be perfect and to just cater to um, exactly what I need without me telling them. Oh, ooh. like mind readers. Yeah, like my brain was like, didn't understand that other people don't work the same way as I do. Mm-hmm. And I applied that to the teachers, except like it was weird because on the one hand, I assumed that they work the same way as I do and mm-hmm. have the same thoughts and feelings and same opinions about stuff. And but I also expected them to know everything. So like. I look back at that now and I'm like, how is that any different from some of my students who will like come to lessons and expect me to be a flute wizard? And, you know, they will tell me, hey, Joanna, I can't play this part. 
And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And they're like, well, I just can't play it. And I'm like, we kind of need like a conversation here so I can yeah. understand why you believe that you can't play it, you know? Or you kind of have to play it for me so I can mm -hmm. hear the current state of it. And, um, it, it was interesting because in the beginning I'd be like, okay, play it for me. But then I got pushback from that because they were like, no, I can't play it. And I'm like, well, I kind of need to hear you. They're like, I can't play it. Like, tell me how to play it. And I'm just kind of like, okay. Mm. So that's why like over time I started to reword how I said that. So nowadays mm -hmm. I say, all right, we have two ways that we can deal with this straight up. Like I just straight up tell them one way is, we have a conversation. You need to articulate to me to the best of your ability. I'm not telling you to be perfect in how you articulate how you're mm -hmm. thinking this through, but you need to tell me very honestly what you want to happen, what is happening well, but what is not computing, right? Like, what are you attempting mm -hmm. to, to do? What are you mm -hmm. attempting to do with your lips? What are you attempting to do with your air? What are you attempting to do with blah, 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 blah? right? Like, what are you striving to actually do? And because what I realized was that before they wouldn't tell me because they thought that they would describe it wrong. Oh, so they would rather not huh. tell me because they okay. were scared of getting it wrong. Right. But so now I have to explain to them that I want to hear how you are currently figuring it out because then I can give you more context yeah. as to what you are trying to achieve. Maybe I can find some missing information and, you know, like fill in that gap of knowledge. Right. So wording it that way. Immediately, I noticed ever since I started saying it that way, every lesson has been a wonderful discussion now. But I had to be the one to say it's okay to describe it to me wrong. Like mm -hmm. you don't, you're not gonna get in trouble or anything. But at the same time, I'm not a mind reader, mm -hmm. right? But I also never had this conversation with my teachers, you know? So it's just that I now had a taste of my teacher's medicine. Yeah. And so now I, I understand the myth that I was perpetuating as a student. Mm -hmm. And then I got it back on like karma, you know? So I was like, okay, I mean, if it's karma, then like, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right by just throwing the doors of communication open and saying, you either tell me to the best of your ability or you show me to the best of your ability mm -hmm. and it is okay to not play it wrong. In fact, I would rather you play it wrong so that I can see what's happening. So mm -hmm. I straight up tell them now, play it for me wrong. I want to hear it wrong. Yeah. You know, and then that's when they're like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not gonna be judged. I'm like, you're not paying me to judge you. You're paying me to help you, okay? Like you can't go to a doctor and be like, what's wrong with you, you know? And then like, 
not tell them any of your symptoms. Actually, that's a that's a good way to compare. Because doctors won't read mine unless it's like it's a sign. Yeah, like if they can see, like, then they can see. But yeah. if it's a symptom, you you gotta tell them. Yeah, because sometimes symptoms come and go. Mm-hmm. The same way when you play an instrument, because some days you play it good and some plays you play it bad. Some days you play it bad, and that's kind of normal, right? But like it comes and goes, right? So that's why you, you kind of have to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, that was both a myth that I perpetuated when I was a student, and then it bit me in the butt when I became a teacher. That's a good one. I think I, I'm trying to start my students young because I, I, I go through the same thing too, but they are young enough that I'm able to mold them in a way. So now they're, they're not exactly too afraid to play it for me. I usually say, I ask um, at the beginning of lesson, oh, so, or like starting a, a new piece or something like that. Mm-hmm. How was your practice for this piece or that piece or whatever? Mm-hmm eh so so like okay no problem let's play it through because and then i lay out for them let's play it through and then we'll see uh, where you're getting stuck at and then we'll work through things so step by step yeah and they, they understand that it's a process mm-hmm. that's even so though they're good. young so. that is so good because like i think i get a lot of traumatized students from previous lessons I get a lot of traumatized students, like legit traumatized. Like they they mm-hmm. get very, very, very anxious when playing for me. So I do have to kind of like coach them through very explicitly like, please mm-hmm. play it for me wrong. I'm here to help you, you know, like yeah. I'm not going to put you down that because you didn't you didn't do it correctly. In fact, you if, if I'm just sitting here praising you and just telling you you're really great, you don't need to pay me to do that, okay? <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're paying me for a service and I'm here to deliver that service. Um, unfortunately, I cannot deliver that service if I don't have any fodder to use. Like, I need either you telling me something or showing me something. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I need one of the two. Preferably both, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like it be what it be, right? So yeah, yeah. I guess that's a challenge with adult students. I never really thought about that because I I don't really deal with that age group. Yeah. Um, yeah. For for me, I get them young. Sometimes, most of the time, I get them when they're just starting. That's so good. You so are that first a, positive experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I try to be. I try my best to be because I think I've been lucky in my own earlier years. I mm. have had teachers who are very supportive. Mm. That's so, so I've, good. I've learned through that. I've had quite a few very supportive teachers too. And I, I, I would say I emulate their teaching um, in my teaching. Yeah. Um, I have also had not so great experiences, but I think I now look back with a lot of empathy. You know, I... I understand where things went wrong and I understand that I had a part in it too. You know, like I can't just go around blaming them for our lessons going wrong. That's not fair, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it takes two to dance, right? So yeah. like I, you know, I look back and I'm like, wow, I was not an easy student. Like, <laughs> like I get it, you know? Um, and I'm sorry, you know, but 
it totally did come around and bite me in the butt as a teacher. Like, you know, karma, karma came back, you know, but like, so yeah. I just decided, you know what? We're going to just, you know, face it and accept it and make things right, you know? Yeah. Pay it forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I guess now we should move on to the next little section just to kind of wrap things up a little bit because we kind of touched on this too which is like are there myths that we feel that we subconsciously help perpetuate i think this is a hard question to answer though because it is subconscious um yeah. and and what can we do to change it so what's yours that's an even harder question yeah <laughs> it is so what's your myth Mine, reading from our notes here, mm -hmm. um, I still very much would answer to bassoon. Yes. <laughs> you are the bassoon and the bassoon is I you. I am the bassoon and if I look in the mirror, I definitely am not. Um, so yeah. It would be that... alarming if you saw a bassoon instead of you, <laughs> you know, just saying. Well, if I'm hallucinating, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I very much feel like it's intermingled with my identity. And that's something I know shouldn't really be. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you understand to be the dangers of doing that? You lose yourself as a person and you don't know who you are without music. And that, your, your question of saying, what can we do to uh, not perpetuate that? <laughs> I really don't have an answer right now. Yeah. I'd like to work towards one if anyone has any advice. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I am, I draw a complete blank. I wrestled with that exact thing for a long time. Um, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but for anyone who missed those <laughs> episodes, um, this question was posed to me by a Catholic nun. Um, and she was like, who are you without the flute? Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been wrestling with that question since I was 16. So I, I, I've been wrestling with it since before music school. So it has always been a question that has been hanging in the back of my mind, even while I felt that in music school, we were sort of molded into becoming one with our instruments, you know? Yeah. So... I also don't have a straight answer, but... Oh, I was going to say, I was like, what have you come up with? Like, I, I don't have a straight answer because, like, I would say that the flute is part of me. Definitely. It definitely is a part of me. Um, I cannot mm -hmm. deny that, right? But I think the danger for me is that if I wrap my identity up with the flute, I wrap my identity up with the flute world. So it's like, where is my reputation in the flute world? What, oh. what, what, how do people see me in the flute world? Where do I stand? Um, how much about the flute do I know? Um, like, it's a, essentially my worth would be measured by how fluty I am. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever a time that I do not live up to that, um, that expectation, then I fail as a as me right so 
my way of counteracting that was to instead of feeling like I would feel attacked when someone told me about something about the flute that I didn't know about like I would feel personally attacked uh-huh. for mm-hmm. a while but then what I realized was you know you can't really like unfeel feelings like that that's not a mm-hmm. thing okay you you feel it you feel it but what matters is how you react to it after right mm-hmm. so I consciously made myself go literally say in my head, oh, I don't know that. Cool, I know it now. Like, I have ascended, (laughs) you know? Like, I've been enlightened. I've, you know, I've I've been, I've leveled up in my knowledge, you know? Like, I made it a good thing to find out I didn't know something and now have yeah. learned it. And it makes it so that it's not about the flute, it's about me. And like weirdly, I find that that helps me separate. Do you do the same thing with other pieces of information that you may receive? I do That's that naturally. Not related to music? I do that naturally oh, okay. to, to other pieces of information. I'm always like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. You know, like that's yeah. usually my gut reaction to anything that's not music. But if it is music, mm-hmm. like even now from time to time, I'll be like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. Oh, you know, but then I'll be like, no, 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 no. This is a good thing. This is, you know, like mm-hmm. I had to like consciously, I guess this is like cognitive behavioral, like training you know training conditioning yeah it is like i'm literally like i am i'm conditioning myself to want to learn about something i haven't learned about about the flute that Mm -hmm. it's a good thing like now Mm -hmm. i know this new thing about the flute and it's not a personal attack it's okay like it's also okay that i felt felt that it was a personal attack at first like i'm not denying that either right like I'm recognizing that this is something that I still need to work on as me. Mm-hmm. And like the other nice thing is not only have I learned something about the flute, I've also overcome this, you know, feeling attacked and I've turned it into a great experience for me. Mm. So it's kind of a win-win, mm-hmm. you know, but that's how I've... <laughs> been doing it and it's hard because you don't necessarily always pick up on when you feel personally attacked yeah but i think that's a very wise way of going about it though because ultimately you're kind of saying you're acknowledging again that you're not perfect you don't know everything yeah 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 so and you're helping yourself grow as a as a whole person not just as a musician so you're kind of separating mm-hmm. that side of you yeah like weirdly enough learning more about the thing that you you know really shouldn't use as your full identity like learning mm-hmm. more about that and then counting that as like ah oh, i learned something it's really weird, yeah. but that actually separates you from that thing. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's not like a personal triumph. Like he said, oh, I've ascended. I, I now yeah. know yeah. something I didn't know. Exactly. It's a personal thing. It's not because the issue with that I find with identifying myself as just a flutist, like, is that if I ever learn anything about the flute that I have not learned before, it means I failed as a flutist. Which is why I, t I take it as a personal attack. Mm -hmm. Right? Whereas if you think of it as enlightening yourself and making yourself better, right? Like you can't say that as I've, I've made, you know, like no one would ever say, oh, I've just made my identity as the flute better by like knowing. This. No one actually says that. I mean, that's probably true, but no one ever says that. Like, everyone's always like, like, oh my God, like, you know, I don't think that way. And, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I do this for a living, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, like it's, I've had to, and I'm still doing it now. Like, I, I, it still is feel personally attacked, then think about how I actually want to react and make the move to actually react that way like ooh, let's learn more about this let's enlighten myself again it's myself it's not my flute self you know like, yeah yeah it's very strange but it works for me working that is like i'm still working on it, it it's a it's definitely a work in progress mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well that's why that's why we don't have an answer that question yeah i don't know if we ever will to be honest i don't think so i've started to be okay with this being mm -hmm. a a perpetual question yeah i think so too i think it's more more important that we one are aware of it two yeah. are acknowledging it yeah and we're actively trying to not not so much separate ourselves from the musician self, but just knowing that if we ever were to stop doing music, we don't stop being ourselves. We still exist. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a certain component of us has changed. Yeah. I like the wording of that too, changed. You know, like it's... I think that like at the end of the day... You know, the bassoon is always going to be a part of you, you know, and the flute. Yeah, I like that too. Right. The flute is always going to be a part of me. Mm -hmm. Like you, like I, I understand the world, a lot of it through the worldview of a flutist, you know, yeah. like, and that's okay. Like you can still have that separate from the instrument. Mm -hmm. It's possible. You can you know, but like, you know, fully wrapping up your self-worth in the instrument, though, like that, that is a bit That's like, dangerous. Mm, yeah, you know, like the instrument is not forever. There are mm -hmm. trends in the, you know, the bassoon world, the flute world, you know, how you play certain things and there's, you know, things come and go, generations pass, you know, yeah. so like you... You can't put your self-worth in something that is that fleeting and changing. Mm -hmm. Very well put. 
Well, um, I mean, there's also, I guess for mine, um, it's an extension of the, the thing that I was talking about where the teachers know everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Specifically within that teachers know everything, the, um, the myth that I think I subconsciously help perpetuate is that my students think that I know what is right and what is wrong on the flute. So, oh. right, like I get- It's probably, all black and white. Yeah, exactly. I get, I, the most frequent question I get is, um, am I doing this right? <laughs> That's the most frequent question I get. And like, they'll show me a fingering or they'll show me a posture or they'll show me, um, you know, what their lips are doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I believe that I subconsciously perpetuated this because I made a whole bunch of how-to videos on YouTube. Mm, okay. <laughs> so I became mistakenly, I never meant for this to happen, but I mistakenly became the person that a lot of people looked up to to know what is right or wrong on the flute. Mm. But my actual answer to all of my students is always, it depends on you. Yeah. But let me give you the wider context. So sometimes there's like a hot debate in the flute world, maybe about vibrato or something. So I'll give them both sides of the debate. And then I will say why I agree with actually both sides, you know? So mm -hmm. um, a lot of times it has, or, you know, it has to do with projection and, you know, what venue you're playing in. Your vibrato can actually sound quite different depending on where you are, etc. So like I talk about that type of thing. So I guess the way that I, what I've been doing to change that perception is to constantly, like it's, it's just a constant over and over. I'm always like, mm. here is the context. I give the context that I know and I say, here's where I think you fall into that context. But what you'll notice is that maybe what is better for you to do is not what I do. Therefore, it is actually impossible for me to show you how mm. to do some things. Like fingerings wise, I can show them the actual fingering and I can explain yeah. what they all are. But there are actually some legit, some posture things I cannot show people. Because for example, I have a very short thumb and I cannot show my long thumbed Rachmaninoff hand students how they oh. hold the flute because they actually have to like rotate the flute slightly differently from me. They have to like put their, if they have like finger rests on the flute, they have to put it in mm. a different location than me. They mm -hmm. can't just copy me. Cause I'm like, you see me do this. My hand's like twice as small as yours, you know, like, yeah. and my thumb is incredibly short. Yeah, you see? You see how short my, my hand is? Like my, my, my thumb is, that is. Like in Your comparison thumb? to my rest of my, yeah. Cause yours is a bit longer. But you see how mm. short mine is compared? It, it goes up to that line kind of. Yeah, like there. mine yes. barely goes. Like, like it's basically at that line. And then mine. Yeah, yep. your, yours is quite, a bit, is quite a bit longer than mine. Like mine, mine is quite short. So like, <laughs> You know, it poses a, a problem on the flute because essentially my thumb can't reach the flute. 
um, in order right. to be at like a good mm. relaxed posture, right? That's mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. I have to have like a little rest that sticks out and essentially acts as like an extension of the flute out, right? But I have had students who like had looked at my videos and was like, ah, yes, I will get myself a thumb port, you know, and and put it on. And they're like, it's so uncomfortable. And then when we look at it a bit more, I'm like, of course, it's uncomfortable for you. You don't need the extra length, you know, like, you don't. (laughs) you're you're fine. Your hands are long enough. Your thumb is long enough. Like, you don't Mm -hmm. have to do what I do. And they're always like, what? You're like, it's like, no, like. It is actually true that, like, my truth may not be your truth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, and so I have noticed that some students love that answer. And I have also noticed that some students hate that answer. Yeah, they can, it can be very frustrating, I think, from a student's pers- perspective to not be able to get as concrete as an answer as you can from your from your teacher but I think what you're doing is good you're just saying what works for me may not necessarily work for you but let's figure it out together and see Mm -hmm. experiment yeah what what works for your setup and Mm -hmm. who you are as a person exactly physically exactly and like you want to know the why it works right so a lot of times what I do is like I tell them this is what works for me but this is why it works for me. And I show them things like my hand, mm. my thumb, and I show them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then like mm-hmm. uh, for some students, they might have double jointed thumbs. So they'll like bend all the way down, which means they lose even more length. Right. right. So it's like, well, then, you know, how far does it bend? Do you need a splint to hold it straight? You know, because you can get arthritis splints to just hold it straight. And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can get arthritis splints. They're really cheap, you know. And um, you can get arthritis splints to hold them straight so that you don't lose that length. And then it's like once mm-hmm. once you have that length, like do you need extra length? So do you need a thumb mm-hmm. port? Do you need a, like a woodify twig? Do you need et cetera, et cetera? Do you need a different? There's so many different like, you know, little rests that you can get. You know, so it's like, which one Mm -hmm. works for you? Which one? Why does it work? You know, we have to figure out, you know, all that kind of stuff. Some people, I would say that all the students that I have now love it. Um, I, I can tell that some students probably left because I wouldn't give them a straight answer. Well, to each his own. Like, I get it they probably would have a much better time finding a teacher who has a very similar build as them and can just tell them what works. Like I could see that working too. It may not always work. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you could potentially find a teacher who has a very similar like physical build as you and maybe everything they do works for you. That's fine too. So, you know, it's just that if you're working with me, I cannot guarantee, I can almost guarantee that most of my students are not built like me. Um, <laughs> like, uh, actually, yeah, straight up, most of my students are not built like me. There's, I think I've only had maybe two or three students who I can tell are like about the same height and have a lot of the same hand problems as me, mm. right? So for them, I can just basically tell them what I do and it works like a charm you know but like you know um for everyone else though like nah we have to work it through 
So mm-hmm. I guess that's how I'm trying to like go against that. But I kind of, again, it's kind of karma. Like I kind of like, I sort of like, I, I absolutely created and perpetuated this myth that I know what is right and what is wrong, but that's not the truth. <laughs> and that's okay because it gives us a reason to talk about it here on our podcast and explain why we can bust that myth. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a like that gives us a lot of things to think about and hopefully for our listeners and viewers as well too gives you some things to mull over. Mm-hmm. Probably a good place to to leave. I think get off there. so. I think so. So, I think it's your turn to do yeah. the outro. You've heard me very recently do the outro to the other ones. So. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this uh, fourth episode where we bust myths again. This was part two of our myth busting program. Mm-hmm. If you, if any of the myths resonated with you or our thoughts and, and our, our views resonated with you, please feel free to leave us a comment uh, especially if you're watching on YouTube mm-hmm. um, or if you're listening if you don't want to find out where you can listen to us as well we have anchor.fm mm-hmm. you can listen to us there you can also find a link to that in YouTube videos on our website mm-hmm. let's play it by ear.com that's our website there and there's also a contact form on there if you want to uh, reach out to us that way yeah. if not we also have an email um, let's play it by ear dot podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. you can send us an email there mm-hmm. or if you enjoy social media we have Instagram mm-hmm. we have Twitter which is let underscore ear mm-hmm. and we also are on Facebook. Yay! So lots of different places you can reach out to us, contact us, and tell us what you think, how you feel. Beautiful. Thank you again, and we will see you in our next episode. See you! See you!